All right, well, let's, uh, let's get going. I have a lot of ground I want to cover tonight. Um, so buckle up, all right? Who's excited to be at church? Who's expectant that God's going to speak to you right now? That's good. I'm hoping he does. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach. Yeah, so Jesus, I thank you, God, that you, you're desiring to accomplish something right now, God. And, and just as we sang, that we'll never lose our wonder. God, we don't want to lose our wonder of what you accomplish on these time, in, in these times. God, when we come together corporately, we don't want to take this for granted. We just say thank you, Jesus, for drawing us here. And thank you, God, for faithfully speaking to us week after week and depositing your inspiration into the very depth of us. God, we just yield ourselves to you tonight, God, and I ask specifically that you will come with your power and grace and that you will sanctify our imaginations, God, that you will unlock them tonight with wonder and that we will leave this place with imaginations that are compelled and filled with hope. God, give us a greater glimpse into the tomorrow that you're dreaming of so that we can leave here and go co-create that vision hand in hand with you. We thank you, God, and we bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your tissues, you should just get those. It's going to be one of those nights. I'm just warning you, not trying to hype anything. I last preached a few weeks back. Uh, we've had two really wonderful words spoken in the, in the last two weeks by... Uh, both my brother Riley and then Owen Gape last week. If you did not get to uh, sit under those, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, in my last message, I preached out of Mark chapter 4 and talked specifically about the seed sown in rocky soil that had no root within itself and talked about hiddenness and revelation and the different uh, kind of rhythms that God cultivates to, to make a soil that has the potential to bring the seed you know, to fruit. And this week, I'm going to continue on the same parable, but I want to look uh, more closely at the soil that had the, thorn, the thorns in it. And so my, my title, I, I really think I'm up in my game on the titles of my messages, so I'll see what you guys think, but I titled this one, Thorns in the Imagination. Oh man, that's, that's good. That's just the title. I just felt you guys really respond to that, so that must be a winner. So I want to talk about thorns in the imagination, specifically Keenan on the thorny soil tonight. So that's what we're going to go after. And, and honestly, just to give you a disclaimer as well, uh, there's the science of preaching, and some people really kind of have methods that are kind of like scientific, and they really, you know, form these beautiful messages. And then there's like the art form of preaching, and I, I kind of like dabble in both, but tonight's definitely more of like an artistic expression, more than it is... Uh, like a logical thing. So I guess, not that it's not logical, but just like, I'm just going to share the heart in, in splash with the Lord. Uh, and I'm hoping that it will spark things within your own heart in, in splash color where there's perhaps been black and white so that you can go and create your own art with him as well as you communicate and dialogue and pray with Jesus. So I just am hoping that as I express and share my own soul, it will activate things within yours as well tonight. 
So when we're looking at soil, right, this is Jesus talks about uh, the parable of the, of the soils, and he talks about four different soils. And, uh, and I'm just going to read it real quick and then, and then kind of jump uh, into some different angles. And so just again, this is Jesus. This is Mark 4, chapter 5. He says, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. But after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up, they increased and yielded a crop of 30, 60, and 100-fold. And the reason I'm camping on this parable, really, is because we want to be a people that take the promises that God has been sowing into this community, the hope that is deposited within the very soul of this community, we want to see that come to 30, 60, and 100-fold, right? We want to see people that see the promises we've received come to fruition, Amen. So, so that's the goal, and that's why we want to take a look at what Jesus is speaking throughout these, uh, th this parable, right? And so the first question I want to just pose tonight and then answer is, what is the soil? I think it's a little too simple sometimes to say, you know, it's, it's our heart. And like, yeah, that's true. The soil is our heart. But if we look at the parable, Jesus is giving us, he's speaking to soil, he's speaking to dirt in the context of dirt being the womb of life. Right? And think about a garden, right? It's dirt that actually creates a womb through which a seed can sprout and, and create, right? You put a seed up in the air, it doesn't grow, but it needs the womb of the dirt, right? And so in this metaphor, when we're speaking of dirt, I believe Jesus is actually speaking to the imagination because the imagination is the womb of human creativity, Right? The imagination is the place that it's, you know, it's, it's hidden, it's dark like the dirt, but it is the place within us where we have the ability to create. Right? Every creation of man was first conceived in the imagination. And, and we want to have sanctified imaginations. And I'm going to talk about this a bit tonight, but before I do, I, I just... I feel like there's this attack against the imagination that is rampant within the world. And, you know, and I hear it in the church even sometimes where people are like, you know, I think God spoke to me, but I don't know if it was God or if it was just my own imagination. And I'm like, well, where else are you hearing from God? Right? Where do you hear from God? In your imagination. Right? We act as if their imagination is kind of like, yeah, I just have this thing called imagination. It's kind of like, eh, it's kind of childlike, you know, <laughs> don't know if I can trust it. It's like, no, it's amazingly powerful, right? It, it is, it's the creative faculty of human beings, right? God is the creator. He starts creating the earth, and then shockingly, he makes this garden, and he stops, Stops creating, and then he empowers man who he made in his likeness and said, hey, now you guys start creating and fill the whole earth and make it like this paradise called Eden. Right? God's dream was to have a bunch of children that could go to work with him so that they could just live life hand in hand with him, co-labor alongside him. Right? And so to accomplish that, God actually stopped creating. Right? But he wasn't finished, but he stopped. Right? And how do I know he wasn't finished? Because he put man in a garden, but where do we end up? 
Anybody read the Bible? Where do we end up? Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? It's a city. What's a city? It is a hub of human creativity. Right? So God put us in a garden, but all along, his plan is that we would end up in a city, and cities are things that human beings create. Right? So God is like, whoa, this is awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these, these sons and daughters made in my image, and I'm going to give them the ability to create in the same way that I create so that they can create a beautiful world. Are you following me? You're giving me that look like, huh? All right, the point I'm making in this is that in order for human beings to, 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 to fill the mandate to create, in order for us to create like God creates, right? We're made in his image. The only thing we know about God when it says we're made in his image at that point in Genesis 1 is that God was a creator and God was good. So we're made with a capacity to create good. And in what that means is that God actually formed us uniquely as human beings and he placed within us a creative faculty. He, he placed within us the ability to create. And, and, and what that faculty is called is the imagination. He gave us an imagination, which is this sacred space within a human being where we can put faith in a promise and see a tomorrow that doesn't exist and create it. We have the ability to see things that don't exist and create them. Right, it's a pretty famous quote, but you know, Walt Disney's wife was at the opening of Disney World. He had died a few years earlier, and the head exec of Disney leaned over and said, isn't it a shame Walt wasn't here to see this? And she quipped back, he was, or you wouldn't be. Right? The imagination is a powerful, powerful instrument that God has placed within the human mind. If you show me your imagination, I will show you your future. Because your tomorrow is currently housed in your imagination. The thoughts that you're allowing to be sown into your imagination are germinating and growing every single day. So you show me what your imagination's full of, I'll tell you what your tomorrow will look like. And even further, the, the future of human history is currently housed in the imagination of God. And for the few who dare to approach the holy and enter into that sacred real estate, you will emerge with the words that will captivate the hearts of a generation, and you will be a mouthpiece that shapes the future of human history. That sounds impractical. It's not. There's a, there's a, a young man. He's uh, 18, 19 years old. His name is Richard Henry Dana Jr., he was a, uh, born into an aristocratic family in Boston. He was a Harvard student, and he was completely dissatisfied with, what is, with his life. There were things he was yearning to know. And at that time, California was the allure of the whole East Coast. It was the, it was the land of adventure that everybody had, was hearing stories about. And he decided to get on a boat 
left his, left his Harvard education, dropped out of school, got on a boat, went around the tip of South America to go uh, join a, they were doing trading like animal skins for two years. And he writes a book called Two Years at Mast of his uh, basically tra traveling through California and talks about the different ports they stopped at. And he gets back uh, a few years later, writes this book, and the book spread like wildfire across the United States of America because everybody was longing to know what is California like. And because a 19-year-old kid did something different, pioneered a new trail, he had the words that captivated the heart of a nation. And if you can do that in the natural realm, how much more can you do that if you will pioneer into the heart of God? Because though people wanted to know what California was like, that is a very dim wick compared to the yearning within the heart of this generation to know what is God really, really like. And God is the desire of every human heart. He's the aching, yearning, passionate beating of every heart. It's longing to know who is God. And God is dreaming of a tomorrow that's so compelling that when you find those words, you will shape and grip the heart of individuals. I want to be one of those people, don't you? That's not what my message was about, but that's kind of a cool thought. And another just side note there, we've been talking about hiddenness. It's people that embrace hiddenness that emerge with the holy seed that a generation's craving to hear. You'll emerge with the words because you've spent time knowing the holy. I believe this is the path we're taking as a community. And for this reason, amongst many things, it's imperative that we be people that protect our minds. Right? We must protect our imaginations. If we're a community that's embracing hiddenness, if we're a people that are going after the fullness of God, if we're a people that are after the heart of God, if we're a people who believe these prophetic words, these, these utterances that are coming to us, that we're experiencing, that we're taking hold of, if we believe that those are from God, if we believe he's actually speaking to us about the tomorrow he's dreaming about, we must protect our imaginations. So here's Mark 4, 18. This is Jesus now speaking, right? He's talked about the soil that had no root. We dealt with that a few weeks ago. Now he's, he's switching and he's warning us about another peril that we will face in the journey of bringing the seed, bringing the promises to fruition. And it's the thorny soil. And he said, verse 19, and other seeds are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus is telling us it's, it's not okay to be a, a, an imagination. It's not okay to have a garden bed that has been sown with both holy seed and foreign seed. It's not okay because the foreign seed will actually combat and choke out the holy seed, right? And so when I read this, he, I, I see a, a believer who's in the process of sanctification. 
right? I, I, I've received holy seed, but I also still have foreign seed sown within my mind. You following me? All right, so there, there, there's compromise uh, in, in, in my mind, in my thinking, right? And so the seed, what is, what is the seed? The whole thoughts, my ways are not your ways. They're much, that's very clear in the passage. It's the Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're much higher. But the words that come from my mouth will not come back void. They will be successful in the thing for which I sent it, right? Holy seed. They're the promises of heaven. They're the whispers of God. They're the deposits of grace and love that Jesus desires to plant into our mind morning after morning. His mercies are new. He doesn't stop. He doesn't relent. He's the same yesterday today today and forever he's the father of lights who gives without variation or shifting shadow he just wants to sow good seed in you day after day after day wants to just lavish you with affection and love so that your mind is completely consumed with the living and active word of God that will not fail in the in the purpose for which it was sent amen, amen. that is what your mind that is what your imagination was created to feast upon that's holy seed, right? What's foreign seed? It's, it's seed of the flesh. It's fleshly. It's selfish. It depends upon you. It's your own desires, your own thoughts, your own dreams, your own preoccupations, right? It's about origination, right? Oftentimes, holy seed and fleshly seed will outwardly look the same. It's this desire but it's about the source. Where did it come from? Right? And where it came from, the origination of the seed actually has great impact on, on what it does within you, what it, what it does to your imagination. Because the question with your imagination is not if you will use it or not. The question is, what are you feeding it with? You're imagining things every day of your life. You're, you, you imagine what tomorrow's like already. You might not be aware of it, but if you sat down and I said, hey, for the next 10 minutes, write what you imagine tomorrow will be like, you'll find you actually have a very actively engaged imagination. It just might not be feeding upon the words of Jesus. Right? So foreign seeds fleshly. It originates in self. And oh, the flesh will always lead to the flesh, just like the holy will always lead to the holy. Right? And we see very clearly that Jesus starts talking about worry. Anxiety is associated to foreign seed. And the reason for that being is that when, you know, when it's of the flesh, it will inherently depend upon the flesh, which means it depends upon me, and it produces anxiety, worry, stress, striving, all of these things, because I'm a, a promise I'm sowing foreign seed I'm actually depositing a, a promise within my imagination that's detached from God. It's de detached from the peace of heaven. Does that make sense? Right? Where on the flip side, if I'm depositing holy seed, I'm actually, right, promises, holy promises, the words of God actually derive from the nature of God. So they actually produce what God is like in me when I put my faith in them. You say, that kind of sounds mystical. Where is that in the Bible? Let me tell you. It's in, it's in 2 Peter, verse, chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for by these he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, catch this, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. 
So by the promises of God, you become partakers of the divine nature. What is that? How does that happen? Well, when you deposit holy seed, those seeds actually contain the nature of God within them. And what's God like? Peace, joy, righteousness, rest, purity, holiness, righteousness, integrity, right? It's the nature of God. So as I, as I sow the holy seed into my imagination and I put my faith within that, I'm actually creating an internal paradigm that's marked by the aspects of God. If I'm sowing foreign seed that's of the flesh or of the demonic, which it could be as well, I'm going to start producing anxiety, right? And anxiety is simply the manifestation. It's the indicator. Whenever you're feeling anxiety, this is what it means. It should be like, right? Siren. And it's telling you, fear has invaded your imagination. Fear has invaded your imagination. That's what anxiety means. Fear has invaded your imagination. You are imagining something based on faith in a foreign seed that was sown of the flesh. And it is producing in you anxiety. The holy seed will draw you into the holy because as a son and daughter of God, I'm putting my trust in him is the provider, and I'm leaning into him. And that trust-love relationship produces the peace, rest, and joy of heaven. If I'm putting my faith into a, into, into a foreign seed, it, it produces an orphaned fear in me. And orphans know there is no provider. I'm my own provider, and I begin to strive labor, and produce anxiety of all kinds, right? And normally foreign seed to the believer, it looks like good things that are detached from God. It looks like blessings that are detached from the giver of those blessings, right? You following me there? And this anxiety and striving... Jesus tells us, and this should really strike terror in our hearts, that chokes out the seed, chokes out the holy seed. So you have holy promises that are sown in you. You've spent time in hiddenness. You've embraced the wilderness. You've known God. He's deposited. He's put his promises in you. He's put his hope in you. But now, because of this foreign invasion of fear, I'm actually compromised to the point that the anxiety in me is producing thorns that are choking out my ability to bring these holy seeds to bear. Right? This is serious. Right? Anxiety steals the real estate that you were meant to dream with God. You know, like little kids, they dream things. And then we learn wisdom as we grow up and we become anxious and worried about many things. And somewhere along that road, we forget how to dream. And our dreams turn into projections of survival. <laughs> you know, it hurts my heart every time I talk to a high school kid. Tell me how worried they are about their major and they're trying to figure out what they can study so that they can get a good job to make ends meet. I'm <laughs> like, man, that's not what a royal son and daughter of the God who created the cosmos should think like. Somewhere we're learning 
how to think like an orphan instead of imagine the tomorrow that God's dreaming of. Shouldn't be like that. Shouldn't be like that, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. This should be a place where dreams flourish and grow. This should be a place where you're not ashamed to dream. This should be a place where there's no condemnation for you to be foolish in your faith of the tomorrow that God's speaking to you about. Why is there this battle? It's really simple. It's because we are powerfully creative beings, and the enemy knows that. He cannot create anything himself. He simply can manipulate the ones that are created in the image of the creator so that we can believe his words and create his kingdom. The seed your imagination is feasting upon, you'll still create it. And he knows that, so he wants to manipulate you. Manipulate you into creating a reality that's so far beneath your inheritance and your destiny. And how does he do it? By fear. Anxiety is simply the indicator that fear has invaded your imagination. And the thing that's crazy about fear is that fear only exists in one place. Do you know where it is? In your imagination. Fear lives in the imagination of human beings. Trauma is real. Pain is real. But fear exists only in your mind. Mark Twain, modern day prophet, says, I've been through some terrible things in my life. Some of them actually happened. Fear is a, a creation within our minds. It's, it's what happens when we, when we orient our creative faculty towards foreign seed. And some of you might be saying, that's not true. I've seen horrible things, Jordan. I've seen divorce rip a family apart. I've seen addiction destroy. I've seen dreams die. I've experienced disappointment. I've experienced rejection. I've firsthand walked through hell. That's not true. My fears based on trauma that I've seen, it's real. And I'd reply to that and say, you've simply let life traumas plant seed in your minds. And that is breeding fear of all kinds in you. And Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Quit looking to the traumas. Quit looking to the pains. I'm the God who died and rose. I'm the one who holds you in my hands. I'm the one who says no weapon formed against you will prosper. I know the plans I have for you a future and a hope. I'm going to turn it all to good. I'm going to walk with you. I'm never going to leave you. Even in the shadow of death, I will be by your side. Even when you hear the wolves of hell screaming all around you, I'm the lion of God that's walking by your side. I, I, don't be afraid. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. So he just wants to grab. And for me, when I get afraid, that's what I always feel. 
It's like I'm just looking, looking, looking. It's like he just wants to grab me. Just look at me. Look at me. We've justified so much fear because we look around. I don't want my imagination feasting on trauma. I've had too much of it. I don't want yesterday's trauma to steal from tomorrow's promise. I don't want the trauma and the pain I've experienced to steal from my capacity to dream and hope and make myself vulnerable that God actually is who he says he is. Trauma steals enough from human beings. Do not let it steal from your tomorrow. Do not let it steal from your ability to hope. Do not let it house within your imagination and rob you of your inheritance in God. Trauma is real, but you have the fortitude and the strength you need to walk through trauma. Don't be afraid of it. Don't waste another moment of your life fearing, when's it gonna happen? When's the pain gonna come? Because I got a promise for you from scripture. It's gonna come. We live in a world that's full of pain. But that is not an excuse or a reason to go to fear. You know when your imagination is sanctified, when you're, 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 you're possessed with hope and wonder, you know your imagination is working the way it was created to when you wake up in the morning and you are absolutely filled with hope of what is God going to do today. That's the fruit of a sanctified imagination. And hope, you know, hope's different than faith. Faith's like, I believe God for that. Hope says, I have no idea what God's going to do, but I could spend all day imagining the thousands of ways he could show up in this situation to turn it. And when you're filled with hope, your mind is flooded with wonder. You're just in wonder, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? You know, fear comes and says, don't do that. What if this happens? Hope is like, what is God going to do? Like, I'm, I'm filled with wonder. Like, what is going to happen? I know it's going to be good because he's only good. He's only ever been good. You see what I'm saying? But so often the things happen in our gut recoil reactions is what did I do wrong? Let me hunker down and try to salvage this before everything falls apart to smithereens. That's not the imagination of God. Jesus looked at the cross full of wonder. The joy set before him. He wasn't scared. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't filled with fear. How do we do this? So I'm guessing most in the room are like, dang, my imagination is not sanctified. Three of you laughed, so at least three of you have yet to arrive. How do we combat fear? How do we claim back our minds? I was 19 years old and I met God on a mountaintop. This is big, beautiful. God met me in the California mountain range. I was there at sunrise, and the Spirit of God met me. It's one of the most sacred moments of my whole life. And he began speaking to me, and he said, Jordan, you're full of fear. He said, you are. You're consumed, son. And he said, it's time to go back and face every fear in your life. 
And he didn't just say it, but he filled me with this conviction, just possessed me with this zeal. That, that all I could say was, God, I may be nothing else in this life, but I will be free. I may be, no other thing may characterize my existence, but I will live a life that's free from fear. And I trained myself, I just, I just started, anytime I'd feel my knees knocking, I'd just start running in that direction. Anytime I saw fear, I sniffed it, I'd turn that stone over. I'd open the door to that closet I didn't want to go into. Anything I felt fear, I ran after. I just said, God, I'm, I will not live a life marked by fear. I will be free. And I descended that mountain. It was January 31st, 2010. I'll never forget it. I descended that mountain just, just, just with this conviction that I was going to find freedom in my life. And I thought, in, in myself, I thought I was descending to go on a journey of becoming a warrior. That's what I thought. But it's very clear now that the journey God was taking me on was the journey of becoming a child. Because there is only one force that is strong enough to deliver us from fear and heal the scourging of trauma in our minds. And that is the love of Jesus. There is no fear in love because perfect love cast out fear because the one who fears has not yet been perfected in love. And we love because he first loves us. Right, and we talk about the love of God, and sometimes it becomes such a novelty in Christian circles. It's like, God loves me. God loves me. And honestly, I feel like a broken record sometimes because all I can talk about is the love of God. But it's not just an idea. It's not some philosophy or theory. It is a radical, dominating, just, just ravishing love affair of the heart. That, that, that's the only way you can speak of the love of Jesus. You can't just talk about the love of Jesus. It is knowing the the love of God that is so deeply convicting and stirring and consuming. It is not just some good idea. His love is a fire. And when that fire comes on you, it consumes in every single cell of your body. Your whole being gets reworked with this fire of the love of Jesus. And he can heal you. But we don't fight our way out of fear, especially you men. I know because I am one. We want to puff our chest and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to puff my chest. I'm going to put my armor on. I'm going to make myself strong. I'm going to prove I'm the provider. I'm going to prove to the world. I'm going to prove to myself. I'm going to prove to my spouse. I'm going to prove to my kids. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do all these things. Those things are great but they're nothing until you've learned to be a child. They're nothing until you know how to make yourself vulnerable and receive the affection of God. I have a little cousin, her name's Ella. She's like the cutest thing in the world. All our family gatherings, you know who gets the most attention? She's like nine months old. She gets the most attention. You know what she does? 
Nothing. Nothing. But there's something within us that when we see a child so vulnerable, it's just, it just, we can't help but love. It's because we're like him. And we are more needy on the love of God today. We're more needy right now than, than when we came out of the womb for our mother. We were needy then, but we're more needy. We're just as needy now on God. But somehow we forget that. Somehow we, we grow up. Somehow we learn wisdom. We learn responsibility. But we forget to be childlike. Jesus says, don't put the, don't keep the children away. If you, don't, if you don't know to receive like them, you don't know the kingdom. He sets up childlikeness as the, the pinnacle of spirituality upon which we're to mature into. You know, the world, it kills childlikeness. Read the stats. It kills creativity. It kills childlikeness. And you know that the crux of it is that children know how to use their imaginations. Children have wonder. Children dream without being ashamed. Children believe without doubting. Children hope without skepticism. And it's only the love of God that can empower us to mature back into childlikeness. Because there's a difference. When you're first a child, you don't have fear because you didn't know you could fall. But when you fall, it hurts. And the world says, cover that up. Make yourself strong. Get back up. Keep going. Sticks and stones won't hurt you. It takes the love of God to love us back into childlikeness. Where even though I know I can hurt, even though I know I can fall, I, I trust you. I'm, I'm dependent upon you. You're my plan A. And if you don't show up, I'm done. I used to go down and pray uh, on these cliffs near the ocean, and surfers would use it during the day, and there was this cliff face, and they nailed a big, big stake with a rope into it that you could use the rope to kind of make your way down to the bottom. And I would go there, and, and sometimes... The, the waves would be crashing, you know, 10 feet beneath me. And I'd get in the middle of that cliff and I'd just hold that rope behind me with both hands. And I'd lean out as far as I could to where I was just, you know, over the water. And in my heart, I'd just say, Lord, this is how dependent I want to be on you. This is how much I want to trust you. That if you don't show up, that if, if, you're, if you're not who you say you are, I'm done. If your promise isn't true, then... My life doesn't make sense. And I believe the great sin of the Western church is that we've used all our many devices to keep us from ever going to that place. Because that place terrifies us. That place is where the rubber hits the road. And you find out in the very depth of your being, you either trust him or you don't. But this is the thing. 
that posture of dependence is the very thing that protects you from foreign seed. How? When you're cultivating dependence, you're exposing yourself and making yourself completely vulnerable to God. You're, you're, you're setting the posture of your heart, which will then dictate the way you live your life. That I receive and then I do. 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 It's John 15, branch and vine. I receive so I bear fruit. I receive so I bear fruit. Right? That's, that's the posture. As you grow, as you mature into childlikeness, you're actually training. Your whole internal paradigm is one where you're just leaning on Jesus. So how does that protect you from foreign seed? Foreign seed originates in self of the flesh, which is pride, because it originates from the father of lies, who is Satan, who is the man of pride. And Satan is a thief who wants to be in a posture of dependence. He will give you nothing. So if you've trained yourself to be in a posture of dependence where you're needy to receive, you'll recognize the foreign seed because you'll have to remove yourself from that posture because it will only allure you elsewhere. Does that make sense? The recoil within your heart, if you're, if you're vulnerable to receive, you'll recognize it's foreign seed because it offers you nothing. It will say, do this then, perform then, chase the carrot then, do this then you'll receive. It's, it's so marked. Right, so dependence is actually a posture of heart that allows you to easily divide between the foreign and the holy. Right, because the foreign will always, it, it, the, foreign, the, the holy seed, it comes to you, it, it, it ministers to you, and then it empowers you into godly expression in the earth. Right, the foreign seed allures you, promises you, and then hangs you out to dry in a swirl of anxiety trying to manage all the things you thought were going to be fruitful and they've turned into thorns. I define childlikeness as a posture of heart where the paramount issue of every day of your life is to receive the love of God. It's paramount. Paramount's a political term. It would mean if there was a paramount issue in Congress, they would address no other concern. They would talk about no other agenda item until they've brought resolution to the paramount issue. That's what paramount means. And to be childlike means that you have made receiving the grace of your father, the grace and love of Jesus, the paramount issue of your life. My day will not go on until this issue is settled. And the only person that does that, the only posture of heart that cultivates that type of, of allegiance to this vulnerable, humble posture that is quite upside down from what the world tells us 
is a life of radical love, a life of first love. It's a heart that is absolutely ravished by love. I was in San Diego a couple weeks ago, and uh, there's a, a military monument uh, out on Cabrillo that um, honors um, fallen soldiers, and it's out on the point, and it's beautiful, and uh, I've spent a fair amount of time there uh, just throughout kind of the course of my years, and uh, I was down there just walking amongst these, these limestone tombs and, you know, looking at the different epitaphs that are written upon them, and I was out there just in this beautiful place, you know, this garden out in the middle of the desert by the sea, and I'm just looking at life after life, snapshot, 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 snapshot. And it's hard not to just ponder and say, man, my life's a wisp. You know, it's just a breath. And as I was pondering this, I just, I just said, Jesus, I'm going to have one of these one day. I don't know how much time I have left. I'm hoping at least a good 50 years, but you never know. Truly, you don't know. And I said, Lord, when I die, I don't want to be known for what I did with the microphone. I don't want to be known for, for who I was on the platform. I don't want to be known for my sermon. I don't want to be known for all the things I did. I, I don't want to be known by that God. I said, all I want to be known is that was a life that was a love affair between God and a man. I said, if that, if that, can, be, if that can be my epitaph, if, if that can be my mantra, then that sounds like a life well lived. Above any other thing, above all the doing, above all the fruit bearing, above all the things that the world says, this will satisfy you and this will make you. I, I don't need all of that if I can just live my life marked by a love affair with you. I just want to be so deeply intertwined with your love that everything else just only makes sense if people look at it and say, that was a man who was loved by God and loved him in reply. That's the reason that you and I were created. Because he loved. He so loved, he could not contain himself. It compelled him to creating you so that you could know the goodness of his love for, for all eternity. That for, for ages to come, you could know the riches of his kindness in Christ Jesus towards you. First love protects and guards our heart from all the influences of life that want to make you cold and sterile and worried, wise. But if we're to be a people whose imaginations feast upon holy seed and we see the tomorrow that Jesus shed his blood for and because of his love for you he wants to use you to create it I cannot live and let that opportunity pass by and my heart tells me the reason you're here is because you can't either
we know that childlikeness is restored when we're filled with wonder. We know our imaginations are sanctified when we're compelled by hope. My prayer is that we as a people will be filled with wonder, that we will live so deeply rooted in trusting God as the provider of every promise he's given, that we are the most peaceful, joyful, rest-filled, abounding in hope, fruitful people that this planet has ever seen. That is what all of creation is groaning to see revealed, the sons and daughters of God with sanctified imaginations who have the holy seed of heaven to speak and create a reality that will captivate this generation and shape the contours of, the his, of, of human history. I believe that. I got it all from here. It's true, and it will work. Amen? So, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the imagination that you have given us. God, I thank you for the sacred space within us that you formed with skill and wisdom, that we can house your promises. God, that we can see a tomorrow that does not yet exist and play a vital role in bringing it to fruition. Guard our minds. Protect us from foreign seed. Protect us from the thorns and the anxiety of life, God. And set us free from fear tonight, I pray by the power of first love. It's love of God. It's, it's only by your love. It's only by your love.